Now that you've sat down, if you have your Bible, would you please stand and hold your Bible in the air? I'm giving you an opportunity to stand up, not just conveniently hold it up. Stand up and hold it in the air. Bear witness of God's word. Tell the person beside of you how good, how glad you are to see them here. You can go ahead and find your places in your Bible. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. When you find your place, say, I have it. I have a little introduction for you before you. You begin to read. I want to read something to begin with. This might be our last, our last night of uh, our Bible study, the Philosophy of Life Bible study. It's possible it could be. Uh, I'm not going to make any promises, but I want to read to you this thing that um, I read in this devotional. I thought it was pretty neat. It was back in 2015, but I saved it. Adrian Rogers had written this, and he had a devotional thought. He said, um, I believe with all my heart that the call needs to go out today more clearly than ever before for Christians to keep the faith. When we talk about the philosophy of life, we're actually talking about continuing to speak about what we believe and not accepting a philosophy that disagrees with God. He went off of Luke 18, 8, which said, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Question mark. Will he find faith on the earth? You're living in the same world I am. You see the agenda that's being put forth. You see that we have a minority, a minority message anymore. That shouldn't stop us, but it's evident to see, right? And then he gave this this quote from William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. I thought it was pretty neat. William Booth, founder of Salvation Army, said, this was a quote from him, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. We are but one generation away from paganism. If this generation doesn't keep the faith and pass it to the next, there will be no faith. Those words are solid. Sometimes our biggest fear when we talk about philosophy of life is this philosophy that we're seeing out here that is a preponderance in our churches of the message that he's talking about. Salvation without regeneration. When we're talking about forgiveness without repentance. People that are preaching heaven without hell. That's a message that everybody wants to hear, but it doesn't require us to do anything. But it's a message that doesn't save. It's a message that leaves people lost because they don't hear the truth. This is as dangerous or more dangerous than the message from the atheist that says that there is no God. I would much rather witness to someone who admits and knows they're lost than to someone who thinks they're saved. And so that message, tying into the philosophy of life, we need to be able to understand that the church is responsible for an accurate message. There are lots of people that are going to different churches and they're getting a philosophy message instead of a truth from God's word message. 
we never need to let that happen. So as I go into this study, the last night of this study, I want you to keep that in mind. There's a purpose that we learned, everything that we've learned these past six weeks. We've learned in these past weeks that man has many different philosophies of life. Man chooses the way that he wants to think about life, and then he says, this is what I believe, and then he proceeds to live by these beliefs according to his philosophy of life. Some philosophies of man are live for the moment. We talked about that. Live for the thrill. Live for the most pleasure that your body can feel or experience because this is your life and you only get one life. Another philosophy is gain as much wealth or material possessions as you can because that's what life is about, being able to accumulate. Another one is be the most popular or powerful person that you can be. Promote yourself because life is about making a name for yourself. Some say that life is about gaining all the knowledge that you can throughout your life. Different people throughout history have come up with different philosophies and different philosophies have turned into different religions. Different religions that people actually believe in. It's not just accepting a philosophy, they're believing in them. They accept them as their philosophy of life. You see, the philosophy of life that you accept is the philosophy of life that you believe in. Man's created different gods and man's created different philosophies. He's basically choosing what he wants that works out best for him. In our nature, that's always what we choose. That's how we order when we go somewhere in order. But this is what we fail to realize. All religions, every other god that people worship, all objects of worship, all idols, every theology of every religion or object of worship started with some man's philosophy of life. But God's truth is different because it originates with him. It's his truth. It's not man's philosophy. If mankind decides to not accept God's truth and chooses to live by his own philosophy or someone else's philosophy then that's different than God, then there's a penalty that comes with it. This is what we're not teaching today because we want to be so, so loving. Well, doesn't God want us to be loving? Yes. But a loving God the same as a loving parent, would want you to know the penalty for not accepting his truth. And that's why I don't, I don't get it. There's a disconnect today, and you see it, you hear it. In the progressive movement of the church, it's more about giving a message that doesn't offend, but it's not a message of truth. We don't want to talk about penalty. We do want to talk about heaven without hell. We want to talk about forgiveness without repentance. Because it's a more accepting message. We figure that more people will accept it. But the greatest message of love that you can give to someone is to tell them how they can save themselves from the penalty of something. You see, God makes sure that he will reveal himself to everyone so that they can choose to believe. God loves every person. Do you believe that? He created every person. Do you believe that? So God loves every person that he created and he sent his son Jesus to suffer and die for them. But if they refuse to believe and live by God's truth, then they'll be condemned, is what he says. Whether it be me or whether it be you or whether it be someone else, I'm just speaking the truth. If we refuse to accept God's truth, that is our condemnation. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take Jesus' words for it. This is John chapter 3. You, of course, know verse 16, I'm sure. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Hold on a second. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God immediately wants you to see how much he loves you. Jesus is telling you how much the Father loves you. He sent his son. He so loved you. So anyone that says this message that you're saying about rejecting all of these other philosophies or all of these other theologies besides this biblical, this biblical stance that's been here for all these thousands of years. Pastor Mike, hey church, you need to change because you need to get with the times. No, he says, I'm going to give you my truth in this word and this truth is going to stand. He said, if you refuse this truth, you're refusing this act of love for God so loved the world. We read that verse and we just say it. But think about it. He so loved us that he gave us the incredible gift of Jesus dying for us as a sacrifice for our sin. And then he specifically said, Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So he's saying, I don't want you to be condemned. I sent Jesus so that you could be saved. Now listen to verse 18. He says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Talking a lot here about condemnation. Now listen, verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that that doeth the truth cometh to the light, that his deeds can be made manifest, and they're wrought in God. Now, I'm reading this so that you can understand that, first of all, God loves you. If you believe that, acknowledge it. And I want you to understand that a loving message is different than they're telling you today. You see, a loving message is if you don't accept God's truth and you choose to live by your own philosophy of life, it will condemn you throughout all of eternity. Not a popular message, but a loving message. Why? God doesn't want you to be condemned. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't want anybody to be condemned. I don't want anybody to go to hell. But much more than that, I don't want anybody tomorrow to have to live a life out of fellowship with God much less hell, I don't want anybody to be separated from God in their daily life. So, in love, I would want to share that message, right? God says any philosophy of man that can't be validated by his word and validated by the Holy Spirit is wrong. It's not validated by the one and only true living God. He loves every man enough to be able to give us much less the reward, but he gives us the penalty up front. If man chooses a philosophy other than God's, then it says he will live in darkness. The loving God who has spoken to man since the beginning of mankind is also a God that will punish mankind. In the same way that he is in the position as the father, the creator, And we read over in the book of Hebrews, the reason that we're chastened, the reason that we get punished, you say, well, 
Is it right for God to punish? God punishes for correction, but then he punishes ultimately for perpetual disobedience, for refusing to accept his truth. And the punishment, the ultimate punishment is if you chose darkness, then darkness is what you will get. You see, we, we sometimes hear God criticized. How can a loving God condemn someone to a lifetime, eternal lifetime in hell? A loving God doesn't condemn anyone. He said you condemn yourself, right? You're condemning yourself by not believing. If you're choosing darkness when light came into the world, then he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you get what you wanted. You wanted darkness, so you get darkness. I'll say again, I don't want anyone to be separated from God and live in darkness in this life. I don't want anyone to live in darkness in their eternal life. We're not studying this philosophy of life so that we can cast judgment on someone else. We're sharing it because it's the truth of God. It's the truth of God that lovingly rescues us from darkness. And so in these past weeks, I know I've heard different comments from different people. We've spoken out against several things that the Bible says are wrong. And I'm, I'm glad and I'm, I'm fine to stand with what God said is right. And I'm fine to speak the truth. And you have to be fine to speak the truth. Because the truth is the only thing that will dispel the darkness. And if we're not speaking the truth, then we'll get the situation that we're in today. You say, why are we in the situation today in society where you see such an agenda to worship and celebrate everything that God is against? It's because there has been an attitude. I don't blame the lost people. I blame saved people. I blame us who have turned their head and said, hey, listen, that's their thing. If they want to do that, that's on them. We've chosen not to say anything about it. You say, well, I don't want to say anything because, you know, it offends people. There is not one person, and I want to put you here, there is not one person that's going to be spending eternity in hell that will be upset at you because you shared a way for them not to. But there will be plenty of people in hell that remember the opportunities that you had to share the truth with them, even if it was offensive. And we're supposed to share it. We as Christians are supposed to boldly take the truth as a light into a dark world to rescue others out of darkness. And we do this with a message of love that proclaims God's truth. And God's truth is the only thing that can rescue us from our philosophy of life, which will ultimately condemn us and separate us from God. And when I say our philosophy of life, it becomes yours when you accept a philosophy of life different than God's. So we need to be aware that there's going to be many different philosophies of life that people are promoting and people are believing and sometimes even Christians start mingling their own philosophy of life with God's truth but there's only one philosophy of life that will give us continual fellowship with God and that's God's truth it would shock us to know how many different denominational beliefs there are it would shock you to know how many Christians or so-called Christians, I'm not judging anyone, but I would say people that claim to be Christians would say, I'm okay if someone else is not worshiping the God that I'm worshiping because 
whoever they're worshiping, that's their God, and ultimately, that's God. And so we shouldn't condemn somebody if they're worshiping their own way as long as they're worshiping. But that goes against everything that God stands for. He is the one and only true living God. You shall have no other God before Him. You shall not recognize any other God. We started every, every week in Acts chapter 17. And so I want you to turn there, and I want you to key on this one verse. Because I want to close this study with this verse. I think it's this powerful. And it's the first verse of the story that we read. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It's a simple, short little verse. When you find Acts 17, say, I have it. And the verse reads like this. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And this stood out to me. It says Paul was stirred. He was bothered. He was disturbed. He was stirred. That means he was motivated. That's what happens when you put that spoon in that tea and you try to stir the sugar into it. What are you doing? You're agitating it. You're moving around. That's what he was. He was stirred. What happened to him? Well, Paul was saved, so the Holy Spirit in him was stirring his natural soul. Why? Because he was seeing something that went against God. And when he was seeing something that went against God, it bothered him. So this is what I'm telling you today. Does it bother you when you're seeing something that goes against God? How many people does it bother you to see now that, hey, even something as simple as your news broadcast where they're celebrating something that goes against what God says? Or let's say a commercial that is blatantly right in front of you that's celebrating something that, that God said is wrong. We're bothered, we're stirred. What do you do when you're stirred? Here's another question. Let's answer it honestly. I get mad when I'm stirred. How many people say, I get mad when I'm stirred, right? We do, because we're bothered inside. Paul didn't. Paul made a difference when he was stirred inside, when his spirit was stirred. And this is what I thought was so neat. The Holy Spirit and Paul stirred him. So we see that Paul spoke to them about the unknown God. And we've read this story. And Paul used this platform to introduce the Lord God, the one and only true living God. He didn't speak against any specific God or idol they were worshiping. Instead, he chose to speak against their acceptance of so many various things they worshiped. So Paul was stirred in his Holy Spirit or stirred in his spirit by the Holy Spirit because he witnessed their philosophy of life. Here's their philosophy of life. Are you ready? that people can worship and believe anything they want to and that we should be able to accept everyone else's beliefs because they have their own philosophy. You see, if you read the story, as we have, and I'm not going to reread it today, they were okay to have hundreds of different idols there. They were fine for people to worship whatever. They even invited Paul, share with us what you believe so that we can just hear your philosophy. Because we're a, we're a people that accept all philosophies and you're fine. That's exactly what we're seeing today. And we've talked about it several weeks. It's called pluralism. It's believing that no matter what God you have, that you're worshiping or what thing or belief you're worshiping, that we need to accept everyone's belief. It's acceptance. It's it's not saying anything against that, but Paul, Paul said something against it. Paul was stirred by the Spirit inside of him, and we should be stirred by the Spirit inside of us. 
And we see this going on in society today because the philosophy of life that accepts and believes things that God stands against is a philosophy that God stands against. God can't be worshipped along with other gods or philosophies that go against him. So a philosophy of acceptance, and just out of curiosity, how many of you in the past five years, how many of you in your place of business or in your employment have been required to take a class on acceptance? Would you raise your hand? Right. And in that class of acceptance, they basically needed to broaden your mind, didn't they? To a different philosophy. And when you were going through that class, you realized they're asking you to accept things. Now, it used to be a message of tolerance. Tolerance means that you can, you can allow it, you can tolerate it. But boldly, it's moved to acceptance, not tolerance. Now you don't just need to tolerate it, you need to accept it. This is the message, same message that was going on in Acts 17. But God can't be worshipped along with other gods, as I said, and I want you to know that a philosophy of acceptance is actually a philosophy of rejection of God's truth. You can't accept what God opposes. But again, don't take my word for it. Words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Put it in your notes. He says, he that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Boy, Jesus had some bold words, didn't he? Did he leave any gray area? No. Then why do we persist on leaving gray area as not to offend or accept something that somebody says is okay? His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry is what we read about Paul. Idolatry, an idol, is anything that you love more, fear more, serve more, or trust more than God. And our philosophy of life can be our idol. If we serve our way of thinking more than God's, and we trust our way of thinking more than God's, then we're serving an idol. Our idol is our own mindset. It doesn't have to be an image that's made. It's this philosophy of life. This thing that Paul witnessed in this city is the same thing that we're witnessing today in our own society. There was a philosophy of life in this city, which is the belief that mankind could figure out by his own intellect and his own way of thinking that everyone could worship whatever they wanted to worship and whatever they wanted to believe. And it was okay. And that things and that that people needed to accept whatever everyone else believed as a valid form of worship, even though it contradicted what God said is true. And I think the neat thing is, is that as you got through Acts chapter 17, you were able to see that he mentioned two different, two different philosophers in there and people that followed the philosophies. He mentioned the Epicureans and he mentioned the Stoics. Now the Epicureans, they followed a philosopher named Epicurus. The Stoics, they followed a philosopher named Zeno. But if you think about this in the two philosophies, then the Epicureans believed this. They followed this philosophy. It stated, you're never going to find absolute truth in life. There's no absolute truth. Life is never going to make sense, so you need to get as much pleasure as you can out of this life. No matter what you believe or worship, you should worship pleasure. If it makes you feel good, then worship whatever you want to worship. 
That's the philosophy of the Epicureans. Can you see that philosophy running rampant today? It's the same philosophy. Now, the philosophy of the Stoics. The Stoics followed the philosophy of Zeno, as I stated before, which said, everything just happens in life, and life really has no meaning. It's not controlled by a higher power. It doesn't matter what you worship. It will not change anything in your life. You have to get the most out of life by using your own intellect to decide what is best for you and your own life purpose. They took pride in their own intellect. Does that sound familiar to you? So much so that someone who would have that kind of philosophy of life would begin to give credit for creation to someone else. But hold on, you can't give creation to someone else. So let's just say it happened. And the way that we're going to describe it happened would take more faith to believe than the way that God told us it happened. So it really makes no sense. You would really have to want to believe that mess, wouldn't you? You would want to believe a philosophy of life. So when I see people that that give this, this intellectual view of creation according to something that happened billions of years ago, now they can date billions of years. And they begin to explain these things as if they're there and they're an expert on this. I don't believe that they're so much wanting you or or they're so much wanting to believe it as they're wanting to believe in themselves, that they have the intellect to know this. And basically, it's not an acceptance of something else. It's a refusal of creation by God Almighty. That's what it is. It's man in his own intellect wanting to establish his own philosophy of life. Why is it the thing that's allowed to be taught now when creation isn't? Because Christians didn't stand up for it. They just said, well, if that's the way they're going to believe, they're wrong. So let's shout about it a little bit. Shouting about it never accomplishes anything. Let's get in their face and tell them they're wrong. Doesn't accomplish anything. What accomplishes something? Well, I'm still looking at Paul's pattern. You know what Paul did? Paul shared the truth with him. He didn't see him get upset. He shared the truth with him. And that's what I want us to get to. We've done this whole study. So what do we take out of this study? You see, we're in a world now that's filled with this philosophy of pleasure and pride. It's the philosophy that we see in our society that's most prevalent today, which says each individual needs to use their own intellect to decide whatever you want to make your object of worship and believe in whatever you want to believe in to give you as much pleasure and self-confidence in this life as you can because ultimately we will end up all the same no matter what we do. Listen, Paul was stirred. Why was he stirred? He was stirred because he had a love for God And he had a love for his fellow man. He didn't want to see anybody go to hell. He didn't want to see anybody separated from God. You say, he was stirred because it just made him mad that they said that about God. Okay, that's step one. I don't like anybody to talk about my father. But if you were really that mad, then you would have said more about it, wouldn't you? We get mad about it and we just spout off. Paul did something about it. 
He had a love for his fellow man. It stirred him because he couldn't stand that kind of falsehood to be spread with nobody spreading the truth. So he stepped up on that podium called the, this is the, the unknown God in case we've left one out. And he began to give this message. He was stirred. And again, I'm using this word because it really is just so timely today. He was stirred because he didn't accept this philosophy. So he spoke against it. He spoke against it by stating the truth about who God is. And if we believe the same as the Apostle Paul, then we should be stirred also. We should in no way accept this philosophy of life that goes against God's truth. Paul spoke the truth of them because he wanted to bear witness of who God is. Not because he wanted to get it off our chest. Now, I want you to think about something now. Sometimes as Christians, have you ever been offended when you see somebody or hear somebody say something that goes against God and you can't wait to give your part in there? But then honestly, have you said it so that you could just state your belief or did you really want to bear witness to them and see them accept God's truth? Think about it. Have you ever done it in anger? And then honestly, now you can say, you know, if they want to believe that, they can get what they want to deserve. I just wanted to say this to them, but it wasn't in a witnessing way. Has anybody ever done that? It wasn't in a witnessing way. It was me venting and getting it off my chest and, and being able to stand for it. That's not what Paul was doing. Paul was bearing witness. It says at the end of this that people believed. Why did they believe? Here's why. He spoke the truth in love. Over these past weeks, I've given you scripture and I've spoken the truth against so many different groups that are going to be offended, but I've done it in love. Why? I want them to be saved. And then I want Christians to have fellowship with God. Those two reasons. Church body, if you begin to accept something God is against, even if you're saved, you're going to break fellowship with him. You're not going to be in the right spirit with him. So how do you go about doing this? Well, if I'm speaking to you, I'm going to speak the truth in love. Now, have I messed up at that before? Yes, I have. But I don't want to anymore. You see, we think sometimes that when we hear something that God's against and let's find somebody that we can talk about it with and tell how shameful it is and call them out and say, hey, you know what? I hope all of them get this. God help us when we start judging other people, lest we be judged. We need to speak the truth in love. And that's what Paul was doing. Ephesians 4, verse 14 and 15. Yeah, let's turn there. Ephesians 4, verse 14 and 15. Paul speaking to, your, to the church at Ephesus, he had told them about the different people that would be ministering to them, whether it be pastors, evangelists, teachers. Why? Because you're supposed to grow in God. So Christians, this is to you. This, you're supposed to grow in God. That we henceforth, that means from now on, we're not children. We be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know what he was giving a picture of? 
He was given a picture of a church that would hear something that somebody said. And when he says to and fro, you're carried here and there by, and I love the way he says it, a wind of doctrine. The wind carried you here and the carried you here. We stand on this. Oh, well, this person came in and they said, no, we don't stand on that anymore. Now we accept this. Nope. Now we accept this because we used to stand on this word, but hey, listen, we've got somebody else that, that, that wrote something different and they accept it and our denomination accepts it. So now we're going to get blown over here and we accept this. We accept this teaching. Now we accept this teaching. How many people know of a church that's compromised their stance because they've been blown from here to there? That's what he says. Listen to how beautifully he writes this. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of, uh, of doctrine. That means wind of teaching. And to me, I get this visible picture where Paul's writing. and He's looking at these church, these people that are Christians. And somebody comes in and teaches something that doesn't agree with God's word and tossed to and fro. He's looking at them like, hey, they're just blown over here in their way of thinking. They're not physically blown. They're blown over here in their way of thinking. They're blown over here in their way of thinking. They're blown over here in their way of thinking. And then he says this next thing, and by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know what he says? He says, I don't want to break your heart, but it's intentional. The devil's got a plan. So he's putting someone in there to give you false teaching, which would be the philosophy of somebody. And when he says slight of hand or, or slight of man, we always think we don't really use that word unless we hear somebody doing magic and we say slight of hand, right? What is slight of hand? That means that it was an illusion, wasn't it? It was an illusion. Gave you this direction, I went this direction. You were supposed to be looking at this. Well, I held this hand in the air right here. This hand was changing the card. And then I showed you the card, the sleight of hand. He says, it's a powerful verse, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine or teaching by, by the sleight of men, misdirection of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But instead, now listen, but speaking the truth in love. You may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We need to be aware of this philosophy of life that's going against God's truth so that we can boldly speak on behalf of God. And I wanted to end on the subject of boldness. When I was doing this Bible study, uh, you know, writing it out, you, you always look and you look at yourself and then you look at society and you look at the, the church and you think, well, we have to have an action point or else we just learn that society is going off the deep end and they're not following God's truth, so we just need to leave here crying about it. No, we need to have an action point. And then I happened to be in a meeting a couple of weeks ago and the devotions brought up was about boldness. That's where we're going, boldness, but not the boldness that you think. So turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, you, you may remember Peter and John stood in front of the, the Sanhedrin. And they were told not to speak on behalf of God. 
what happened before in this chapter was that Peter walked into the temple one day. There was a crippled man there begging for alms. Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And man, he got up and walked, but he didn't just got up, get up and walk. He leaped. This guy was leaping around. He was bearing witness of what happened. A miracle happened. And so Peter and John used this to be able to have a platform to start teaching about who God is and who Jesus is. So if you read in Acts chapter 4, you'll see that Peter boldly began to speak about who God is, who Jesus is. And then when you get down, you'll see that it came to pass that they laid their hands on him. In verse 2 of chapter 4, they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and they put them in hold. That means they, they put them in jail. And Acts 3 is where the, your miracle happened. Acts 4, or at the end of Acts 3 is where they were preaching the message. And then immediately, Acts 4, they were put in jail. <coughs> They were put in jail so they could be brought into the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling religious class. They brought them in front of them. And Peter, it says in verse 8, was filled with the Holy Ghost and said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by which means he is made whole, be it known unto all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. So he had boldness not only to share, but he was sharing it with the people that had the ability to put him back in jail, right? He goes on to say, this is the stone which was set at naught, the builders which has become the head of the corner, speaking of Jesus who was prophesied in the Old Testament. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, verse 13 now, when they saw the what? The boldness, the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant, they marveled that they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now, hold on a second, okay? They noticed the boldness. Who in the world would stand and speak to us knowing that we put them in jail and now they're saying, hey, listen, this man was healed because of Jesus. We're going to speak it again. Were they crazy? No, they were bold. Were they being insulting though? No, they weren't. They were trying to bear witness to them. Now, here's the thing. In their boldness, there was nothing they could say to dispute the evidence. You see, they could be bold, and they said this man was healed by Jesus, but when you get to verse 14, it lets you see this other side. It says, and beholding the man, that means with everybody seeing this crippled man that's been crippled all of his life, leaping around and walking, and with the Sanhedrin, those that were, that were trying to, to put them back in jail, beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They couldn't deny the evidence. The evidence was the crippled man was walking. If you're bold enough to bear witness 
of who God is and who Jesus is and speak the truth in love, God will give the evidence. You don't have to, to, to give this big delivery. God gives the evidence. He's going to show it to them. It's amazing here, this story you, you begin to read in verses 14 through 23. And I'll summarize it for you. They threatened Peter and John. They told Peter and John that they were not allowed anymore to speak in the name of Jesus. Now understand they were speaking the truth in love. The Bible tells us that it says, but that it spread no further, verse 17, among the people. This is the Sanhedrin talking among themselves. Let us immediately or straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no to no man in this name. Do not say Jesus again. Don't you dare say Jesus again. They said, now listen, their words, let's threaten them. And they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all and teach the name of Jesus. Can you believe the audacity? That sounds like the letter that I received some 10 years ago. No, this would have been 12 years ago. It was three terms, three presidential terms ago. I remember that. Sorry, that's just the way I remembered it. I received a letter that said that I was no longer allowed to mention the name Jesus at the cemetery that was government-owned knowing that our soldiers that fought and died for us when I did a funeral here, that since it was a government-owned facility, that they didn't want us to speak in that name. So I saved the letter. They didn't want us to speak in that name because it was offensive and it wasn't the new agenda. And this is 12 years ago. Actually, it would be 13. I guess it took a year, about 12 years ago. You can't, you can't say this anymore. Because not everyone believes that. In our country, that was said, right? So don't think this is odd. Don't think it just happened a little while ago. This agenda has been being formulated here. But it says you can't speak in his name anymore. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, We'll speak in his name if we want to speak in his name. And you can't tell me not to speak in his name. No. Did they say that? No. That's what we would want to say sometimes, right? Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than God, you can judge for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people for all men glorified God for that which was done. You see the evidence was right there. And basically they weren't rude about it. They just said, well, we appreciate you telling us that, but as far as choosing between listening to you and God, we're going to go with God because we believe in him. You say, what happened then? Well, they, they let them go. Yeah, they let them go. The evidence is there. 
We're going to listen to God instead of you. Isn't God the one that you're supposed to be representing if you know anything about the Sanhedrin? Yes. So, I love when you get down to verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company. That means they, they went back to their people. The church had started, right? And they were being persecuted. So they went back to their fellows. They went back to their sisters. They went back to their brothers. Something like this. They went back because they met, remember, daily and house to house, breaking bread together, praying together, listening to the apostles' doctrine together. And all of them were in one accord. Remember Acts chapter 2? So they went back to their own company and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. They went back and told the, the flock, the family. And when they heard that, they began to make picket signs. They took out some money to air some commercials. Is that what you're seeing? No, look what they did. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Man, I love, and I don't want to jump on Sunday service, but they started out, that was their Lord, wasn't it? You know what Lord means, don't you? Right? It was their Lord who by the mouth of, by thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for the truth against the holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed. Both Herod, Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined for is done. And now Lord, so they were praying, praying this Scripture. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Had they just been threatened? Yes. Now, here's a wake-up call. Will we be threatened? Yes. You'll be threatened by being ostracized by family groups, by friends. You could be threatened by the government. As I said, I've been threatened by the government before. And I'm not saying it like I'm, I'm proud of it or anything, but you have to respond the way Peter and John did. And, and I'm sure the stuff's going out on the public airway, so I'm sure that it's offensive to some people that have a different philosophy. So what do you do? Well, you have to speak on behalf of God, right? That's what they did. I want you to listen. It says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants, listen, that with all boldness they may speak thy word. What did they pray for? They prayed for boldness. Boldness. But I want to talk a little bit, just closing here about boldness. You see, boldness is different than we think. You see, the boldness that God will give us is because we're submissive to him. I want you to listen to what they prayed. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. What goes on in our mind? Let me tell them what I think, right? When I'm telling somebody what I think, guess whose word I'm giving them? Mine. Even if it's based on a belief, I'm giving them my word. These people prayed, let your servants, those people that are submissive to your word, give them boldness to speak. You see, we look at boldness as being the person in authority in charge. Boldness is the one that's a servant submissive enough to speak for God, not 
bold and brash enough to say what they say to make somebody else feel bad. So boldness, I want you to get a grip on it. You see, for them to say, God, I'm your servant, let me speak your word, not mine, that's when God gave boldness. And from Acts 4, from Acts 4, all the way unto these first chapters of Revelation, the New Testament church happened. The Acts of the Apostles is what the book of Acts is called, right? But don't you know that every one of us has a book called the Acts? The Acts of Jody Miller, Jody Morgan, excuse me. The Acts of Jody Morgan. The Acts of Greg Skelly and the Acts of Reggie Wyke and the Acts of Jim Eller. You say, what do you mean there's a book? God's keeping account of everything that we do for him. It's our acts. The acts don't have to be physical actions. It's the way that we are to him. You say, how do you know? Well, he tells us in his word, 2 Corinthians 5. He tells us that he keeps a record of everything that we do. Why? He wants to reward us. Uh-oh. If he's keeping a record of everything, well, is he going to see that I wasn't bold when I needed to be bold? That I didn't stand for him? That I accepted things that I shouldn't accept? Well, it's not a thing to scare you. You see, all of us are found guilty in this. It's just that sometimes we lack the boldness. Why? Because some people are fearful Christians. What's a fearful Christian? A fearful Christian is a, afraid to boldly declare God because of how they feel they'll be perceived by others. Right? It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a co-worker. You can boldly declare it to each other while we're in here because that's, that's friendly, Right? But to be bold is to share it to somebody else. And sometimes the hardest person are those people that you're closest to. It takes boldness. It's not that you're afraid they're going to insult you. It's what you think they'll think about you. I hear it all the time, you know. We think too much about what they're going to think. Well, I don't want them to just turn me off, so I don't try to share the Lord with them all the time. I just try to live it in front of them. How's it working? How's that working? He wants us to boldly declare. He wants us to bear witness. This person is not truly being that submissive servant. They're serving themselves. Why? Because they're afraid of others unaccepting them. It's about them. It's about how somebody's going to think about them. They may be afraid that they'll face some repercussion. I've experienced this even in my young Christian life when I was saved and then it wasn't popular in high school for me to live out my belief. So... I wasn't boldly living out my belief. Why? I had a different image I wanted. I wanted people to look at me a different way. But man, when I went to church, I was the man. Bold at church. They got a young man. Bold, knowing them scriptures. Go to school? Well, it's two different people. I'm just talking about me tonight. Anybody else? And then maybe you get older and it's that work, it's that fear Loss of job or legal penalty. You say, well, that's real. That's how I'm paying my bills. You're not paying your bills. If you're a child of God, God's paying your bills. 
God's paying your bills. He always has. I don't care how you're trying to do it. He's the one that gave you breath to get up. Remember? Way. Right? Say it with me. Way. Remember we learned that Sunday. Your Lord's taking care of you. And then you've got that liberal so-called Christian. They accept whatever the societal norm is because they'll never be bold against the mainstream. They've compromised God's word so much they can't boldly stand for him and speak for him. But surprisingly, they do have boldness to publicly accept the social sins of the world because their focus is on tolerance, acceptance, and inclusion. They're basically serving the devil's agenda, and they're fine to boldly take a stand and put that on their sign or their flag. And then you have the conservative Christian. Now we're talking. We must say they're the bold ones. They're not afraid to boldly speak for God. I think that's the way that it used to be. You had people who would stand on the truth of God's word and speak boldly on behalf of God. I think about D.L. Moody. I think about Spurgeon. We could go on and talk about some other ones, but we've seen a shift in my lifetime. And I, I agree there's still some of those who are willing to boldly stand for the truth of the scripture and boldly speak on behalf of God, no matter how society labels them or accepts them. But a lot of so-called conservative Christians today are not showing that they have a servant, a servant's heart. They're not showing that they're a servant of God as much as they are a servant of a political party or a servant of a conservative political agenda. I figured I might as well hit everybody. Okay? If God is happy and every single person has something, then you know God's trying to speak to you. You see, we're all guilty in some way or another even for misusing what we call boldness. You see, that conservative belief for so many people, they have adamant opinions on government or political issues, but they do not cite God's word. They cite a political or news source instead of God's word. And to me, the most upsetting thing that I see today is Christians that are so enamored by some news source or some political source that gives them what they say the source of truth is, but it is not citing God's word. You cannot consistently watch them and understand that it's truth if they're not standing for the complete truth of God in their broadcast. You don't see hear them citing God's word. They accept some of the same things that God is against. So why are you picking to listen to somebody and follow them as truth when they don't choose to cite consistently God's word? They might stand on a political issue, but on a moral issue or a sexuality issue, they don't want to, to be seen as, as offensive either because some of their viewers might be offensive. So they don't cite God's word. They cite conjecture or, or somebody else's opinion. And here's the way they come across. They come across as angry, opinionated, and arrogant. And they call that boldness. Have you ever seen Christians come across as angry, opinionated, and arrogant? How attractive is that? Let me remind you of something. We're not out here trying to show how bold we are. We're out here to speak the truth in love, to win people to Christ and bring people to God and let people restore their relationship. You don't do that with angry, arrogant, and opinionated comments. You speak the truth in love. 
And what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Read 1 Corinthians 13 sometimes. You'll see. That's, the, that's what love looks like. True love of God. But sometimes we get in our little Christian groups and, well, we have this bash session on something that's going on and then we spread it and we tell, well, you know what? They're not going to tell me this. I'm going to tell them this. Hey, listen, you're supposed to be shedding a light to a dark world, speaking the truth in love. Are you going to stand against what they're believing? Yes, but you do it in love. They're speaking their own word with boldness or their political view with boldness or their opinion on what's going on in the world today that's wrong with 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 boldness, but they're not speaking his word with boldness. He says, speak my word with boldness. They prayed that we may speak your word with boldness. If I say something up here and it goes out here and I can't back it up with here, don't follow it. No matter how passionate I try to say it, don't follow it. The boldness that God wants is the boldness to speak on his behalf. As believers who have accepted the truth of God when we were saved, we should be stirred in our spirit when we see our, or hear anything that goes against the truth of God our Father. And here's the thing. I believe we're getting stirred, but I don't believe that we're reacting the way that Paul did. Would you agree? We're a bunch of stirred up people right now that are boldly saying what we want to say to each other. You hear me? We're boldly saying what we want to say to each other. Let us get a group and we'll talk about how it is to each other with boldness. But we're not boldly speaking the truth and love to everybody else. And that's how we got in this shape. It wasn't the lost world. It was Christians that began to accept that it was okay. And now we have a philosophy of acceptance that's predominant. Don't you accept it? We can't accept it. If you accept something that goes against God, you're going to break fellowship with him. God wants us to be bold in standing for his truth. He wants us to be bold enough not to accept any philosophy of life that goes against him. He wants us to be bold enough to speak his truth to others. But this boldness is not an arrogance. It's not a hate-filled, opinionated, judgmental view of everyone who's not accepting the truth. It's speaking the truth of God with love. We don't want anyone to spend their life separated from God. We don't want anyone to spend eternity in hell, eternally separated from God. We can't judge someone else and say they deserve that because the truth is all of us deserve to be separated from God. Amen. I'll remind you of Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together in Christ, by grace, are you saved. There's no philosophy of man that can stand against the truth of God. None. Do you want to win every discussion that you have with somebody or debate? How many people would like to win every debate that you have with somebody? Oh, come on. Anybody here looking to lose a debate that you have with somebody? No, no. And I'm not even going to say argument, right? Because if you get to the argument stage, you're treating your boldness wrongly. But you'd like to win. Understand this. There's no philosophy of man that can stand against the truth of God. Why? 
because the person that you're telling it to ultimately knows the truth. God put it in them. They might be so uh, delusional in their own thinking, in their own philosophy that they think they have, but understand, you ultimately will not lose that conversation. There will be a day that they will know. Hopefully it'll be the day that they accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior because that's what you want. You don't want to say, well, one day whenever you're splitting hell wide open, you'll know that I'm telling the truth. I don't want that for anybody, <laughs> right? And that's the way we think about it sometimes. Is that the boldness he wants? Absolutely not. You won't want anybody to Christ like that. But sometimes our mind goes there. God doesn't want that. Look at Paul's example. He began to tell him about God, how much he loves him and how he made him. He spoke the truth in love. Now, ending this, this is why the devil has such an agenda today to push acceptance of all these beliefs and acceptance of false teaching by churches that say they're worshiping God but not representing the truth of his word. So I remind you again of what Paul said in Colossians 2.8, and I'll close with it. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments or the principles of this world, and not after Christ. Our philosophy of life should be according to God's truth. We can't accept a philosophy of life that goes against God's truth, whether it comes in the name of religion or societal acceptance, or if it comes from our own philosophy of life that's focused from our own mind, which is geared to please ourselves, we can't accept it if it stands against God's truth. We're not saved by man's philosophy. We're saved by God's truth. So we need to represent that truth and have boldness not to go along with any philosophy of man that's against God's truth. And the Bible tells us, the Lord tells us, we're to boldly speak that truth in love knowing that others can't be saved unless they can accept God's truth. And Christians can't be in fellowship with God through their own philosophy. This is such an important subject. I praise God for the weeks that we've had to cover it. I hope that he's opened your mind to it, to see what's going on around us, because I do believe this. I believe that we don't mean to do a lot of these things. I think as Christians, we know the truth, and we come in here and hear the truth. But we get so busy in life doing life that we're okay to let these things happen around us as long as we can get accomplished what we need to get accomplished this day and this week. We're so, we're so scheduled out and so goal-driven to what we want to get accomplished that people can do this, but as long as it doesn't interrupt what we're trying to get done, let it go. And God help us. God put us here to represent him. We're his children. We're his ambassadors. We have to speak his truth boldly, but speak it in love. You can't speak it in love if you're accepting something that goes against him. So the first thing that we need to do is be able to know that, hey, we're solid in what we believe. Amen. We can't get caught up in somebody else's philosophy, whether it be a liberalistic philosophy which accepts a bunch of things or just some legalistic philosophy that puts us above somebody else and says that we're better than somebody and you need to be able to cast judgment on somebody. You're in neither one of those positions. You're a servant. You're serving Father God. You need to stand on His Word, which is truth, and that's what your philosophy is, is based on. If we want to see souls saved, if we want to see this next generation changed, that's what we need to do. We need to focus on God's truth 
and be able to be aware and beware of man's philosophy. Father God, I love you and I praise you and I thank you for the, the words you share with us today. I pray, God, that you would minister to us, Lord, even during this invitation. I know, God, this message goes out to many that are facing difficult people to witness to. Maybe they're in different work environments or family environments or friend environments or even in school. Lord, they're in a position to where, Lord, sometimes we've turned our head and let these philosophies of life go on because we didn't have the boldness to speak. And then sometimes, Lord, we've spoken boldly, but... Lord, it's been what we wanted to say and not what you wanted to say. We really didn't have in mind that we wanted to win the person to you. We just wanted to be able to state something loudly and firmly to them. Lord, as these prayers are lifted up to you tonight and God, prayers from your people are lifted up to asking for strength and asking for wisdom and asking for boldness. Lord, I look back in Acts 4 and I see those people that just prayed for boldness to speak the truth in love. And Lord, you gave it to them and you changed the world. Lord, as these prayers go up to you tonight, I pray, God, that you would grant that boldness and that confidence, knowing that you'll supply all of your evidence. Lord, if we supply that boldness to witness and speak in your name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.